Uh, hope you've had a great Christmas. Uh, mine has been spent home for the third year in a row. That's like, hallelujah. Uh, it's nice not to be able to have not to go anywhere and, and um, to stay at home. And, uh, I, you know, it's been really wet, so the kids have been kind of cooped up inside. So that's been unfortunate. And, and uh, you know that old that Christmas song says, Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again? We're there. So, uh uh, it's, it's been really good. You know, I've been, I got kind of harassed by a person this morning about me wearing a suit. I won't say his name, but it's, uh, it starts with a doorman and ends with a Rogers. And, uh, and, and he, he come to me and said, he knows that something is about to happen. And, and he's right, because if you know me, I don't wear suits. All right. It's just not my thing. I, I appreciate people who do. I like them. They look good on you. Uh, but I don't wear suits too, too often much. Most of the time, it's usually somebody's getting married, buried, or I'm preaching the early service. So, so here I am this morning in a suit. So Chris asked me to, to fill in for him, and I'm appreciative for, uh, for him asking me to do so and, and for, for me to be able to get to, um, to speak to you this morning. Uh, let me introduce myself just in case you don't know me. My name is Justin. I am the college minister here. Um, and, and it always makes me nervous when I fill in for the senior pastor because I was a youth minister at one time at a church in Mississippi, and I guess I graduated to the college minister, and maybe it'll keep moving on up. But I remember I preached a sermon and filled in uh, for my senior pastor there, and there was this little um, senior adult lady. Now, granted, she, she had the best of intentions when she said this, but she came to me afterwards. She said, Justin, you did a great job. She said, one day you'll grow up and be a real minister. And I was like, <laughs> as opposed to a fake one, you know. Uh, I mean, like, like, again, she said that with the best of intentions and, and everything. So it kind of makes me nervous, you know, uh, filling in for the senior pastor. But um, we're, here we go. We're going to take off running uh, this, here this morning. Um, you know, we've been dealing with this topic of hope this, this past month. And it's a topic worthy to give a great deal of attention to because the hope that we have been discussing is the hope of, that we find in Jesus Christ and the personhood of, of him that he came and, um, at, as a babe and took on the form of man and, and took upon sin upon himself and died upon the cross and rose again on the third day that we may have life in him. And, and so when we discuss that hope there in itself, it's a worthy topic to give a great deal of attention to. And we want to continue to discuss that here this morning as we uh, celebrate the Christmas se- uh, season. It's kind of funny that Melissa sang that song, uh, this, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, because my first uh, illustration here is about Henry Longfellow, who wrote that poem back in 1863. If you know the story, the story, uh, Henry Longfellow caught, got a telegram indicating that his son had been shot fighting for the Union Army in the Civil War. And it just added to his grief because two years prior, his wife died in a tragic accident. Her dress caught on fire. Imagine that, I, you know, an antebellum dress, you know, a candle. I don't know what happened there, but he tried to save her and could not. And his wife died with Severe burns. And um, so it, the, the news of his son being shot j- just added to his grief. And so, uh, so much so that he made the journey to Virginia to be with his son during his recovery. It was in that time that he was sitting with his son. It was actually on Christmas Day 
1863 where he did hear the church bells ring of the carols that, that they were playing with the church bells. And he wrote this poem of, the, of I heard the church bells on Christmas Day. And in one of the, uh, the verses there, and I, I put it in my pocket so I wouldn't lose it. Barney Fife puts his bullet there, so I figured it was safe there. So he, in one of the verses he wrote, In despair I bow my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song on, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevailed. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I think one thing that Henry suggests there is that, that, that the hope of the gospel message of Jesus Christ overshadows all the perils and the despair that we may have in this life. And, and we're going to look at a text here this morning that kind of points out despair and desperation, but we hopefully I can also, we can point out the hope and the faith that goes along with that and the rescue as a result of it. And so we will be looking in, the, in Mark 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It will be up on the screen as well. But we'll start reading in verse 21. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, granted, we're reading about Jairus right here, but that's not who we're going to discuss this morning. But we're going to discuss the woman that's here next, that's found in this text. It says, And a large crowd followed, followed him and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then when the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and felt at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. So just to kind of give you a little bit of the context, Jesus just set a person free from a, a legion of demons, and then he crossed over to a lake only to find a crowd awaiting him, and his popularity was growing, and, and the crowd was beseeching him, and, 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 and we find that we find people who are desperate in their circumstances, and, and the one thing I want us to point out here this morning is that without hope, there is desperation. Without hope, there is desperation. We see this woman who was physically desperate in her affliction. The Bible says in verse 25, it says that the woman who had been, who has been subject for bleeding for 12 years. Now, you 
meet or ask or talk to anybody who had been dealing with some kind of terminal illness for 12 years, everybody I've encountered, and you know people, you probably have people in your family or you suffered yourself. Most people I've talked to that have been suffering for any length of time with any terminal illness, they will say to me, is like, Justin, I'm tired. I'm tired of, of fighting this. I'm tired of the, the physical grief that it has caused me. And, and so, and you can only imagine the emotional effect that it has on a person when they've been dealing with some sort of terminal Ill, illness for any length of time. You know, we all know people who've been battling with cancer. We have people in our church. Um, you know, I lost my dad to cancer. I had an uncle that's, that, that dealt with uh, leukemia for over 22 years before he finally passed away. And I just remember at the end, he was just telling me, he goes, Justin, I'm tired. I can't, I can't battle this, you know, and I just wanted to, to highlight the desperation in this sense. So physically, she was desperate. Emotionally, she was desperate. And then even socially, she became desperate because if we look at the context of this passage, <clears throat> excuse me, that we see she was rejected ceremonially and religiously, and therefore she was rejected socially. She was an outcast because of her ailment. Now, can you imagine having to deal with this affliction, but not only having to deal with it, but you have to deal with it by yourself because you were rejected socially? If you look in Leviticus 15, 19, by Levitical law, she was to stay on the outskirts of town and not be subject to anybody. It says that, when the woman has her regular flow of blood and impurity of her monthly period, it will last seven days. Anyone who comes and touches her will be unclean until evening. And so we, we don't have to go into any great details to know where this bleeding was coming from, but we have to allude to the point that she was socially outcast and dealing with this all by herself. Can you imagine the desperation in this situation? And so not only was she socially unaccepted, and were not able to have any relationships and have any kind of sanity within those relationships, she was desperate financially. In verse 26, it says that she has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, granted, at this time being... Uh, a woman in this culture, we don't know exactly how much resources she actually have, but we can see that she exhausted all her resources in search of getting better. Why? Because she was desperate. And granted, at this time, people probably could have taken advantage of her, you know, that, that because she was a woman and she had these resources, they probably could have said, hey, we can help you if you, you know, give me your your, your money, and granted, she could have been taken advantage of because of her desperation and her search to get well. And, and let's be frank and honest, I'm not trying to be crude or rude, but usually at this day of time, and even today, when, when, when women find themselves strapped financially, or are they at the end of their rope financially, you know, a lot of times they prostituted themselves out. And, even, and, and this lady didn't even have that going for her. And so can you send, the, 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 I, want, I don't really want to dwell on the negative here, but I do want to highlight the desperation because I think it illuminates the hope that we're going to discuss here in a second. Now granted, we may not be able to 
relate to this woman specifically, but we can all relate to the fact that we have perils in life that, that causes despair. I mean, if you live life long enough, you're going to either, A, you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, you're going out of a storm, and we find ourselves in desperate situations, right? We even see Jairus that we read about earlier in verse 22. It says, And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came to him and saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Now, granted, contrary to this woman, Jairus was, was, was male. And, um, and second thing, he was a synagogue leader, so he was highly respected. He probably had somewhat of, of some wealth. And that, that was totally opposite of, of this lady. But yet we see him, even him, in a desperate situation. And so I think that, that, that categorizes all of us in the sense that we're not immune to any kind of despair, right? And so again, I don't want to dwell on the negative. I don't want to, to emphasize too much on, on, on the des- desperation. But I do want to emphasize it so much so that we can see the illumination of the hope of, of the message of Jesus Christ. And so, and that's my second point, is that desperation seeks hope. The stories of Jesus were starting to resound across the regions, and he, his popularity was starting to gain, um, gain momentum as, as being a healer, as being the one who was having compassion on, on, on the others. And, and, uh, and so as, and the reason why we know that, because we see in verse 21 that when he had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered. Reason why there was a large crowd there because of his popularity it was gaining momentum. Now, granted, we know that he quickly lost that popularity, but at this time of his ministry, he was gaining popularity. It was kind of like the Beatles in the '60s. And if you know anything about the Beatles, when they before they even crossed over the big pond over to the United States, they had a bunch of giddy girls waiting to maul the mop heads, right? And, um, and even though I don't want to compare, by no means compare the Beatles, even though they compared themselves, their popularity to, to Jesus at that time. Uh, I don't want to compare them to, but, but it kind of gives you kind of sense of what, what was taking place here. Now, if you were one of those girls, don't, don't, don't let me know, okay? Uh, but his popularity was on the rise, and we see a crowd here. But and the reason why, because they were hearing the message, they were hearing the, the, the good news of, of, of the lame walking, the dumb talking, and the blind seeing. And, and, and this was, I can't imagine that this woman was having this fantasy about having an encounter with Christ and the same uh, th- happening to her that happened to others um, as, as well. And, the, and so, out of desperation, she was seeking for hope, and the hope was found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of her ceremonial and social rejection, she probably thought that she could not encounter Jesus directly. Now we'll know later on in the text that Jesus sought her out specifically. So, but because of that, she, she probably didn't uh, think she can address Jesus being a rabbi can address him directly. So he, she concocted, the, she planned out this covert operation that she was going to mingle through the crowds and touch the clothes of Jesus. 
And, and, and she really thought in her mind, if I could just touch the clothes of Jesus, that I will be healed from my affliction. <clears throat> and and you, got to, you got to think, I mean, this is kind of like the first mission impossible, you know? I mean, you can only almost hear the, the, sound, the music going on in the background. And, and she even worked the crowd to her advantage in the fact that she can just mingle her, herself through the crowd, touch the clothes, and then kind of get lost in the crowds that nobody would ever know. Because really, in reality... She took her life at her, in her own hands by doing so by, because she broke the Levitical law. So we, we, you, you kind of have to get a sense of the context why this is such a, uh, an orchestrated plan. But we have to allude to the point that her, to her faith in this, in, in, in this passage. When you think about her plan, we have to allude to her faith. And that brings me to my third point is that this, hope demands faith. If you really believe something, it causes you to respond in action. Now, I'm not talking about just faith like a, a, just a generic belief or, or something. I'm talking about a faith that causes you to take an initiative, to, to put it into action. And that's what she did. She concocted this covert operation, and she implemented it so that she could be healed from her, her ailment. And this is one thing I want to emphasize here is that, first of all, faith does take an initiative on our part. If we, if we really believe in something, you know, it is going to cause us to respond in such a way. I tell my college students all the time, it's like, you know what? And we have a closet to the right and the left, to the left of our stage in our college building. And I tell them, I said, hey, guys, if you really believe there's a boogeyman in that closet right there, you won't go near it. It, it causes you to respond in such a way that you won't go check it out. When I was a kid, now y'all, y'all don't, don't laugh at me because y'all have done the same thing. But I really believed that there was, a, you know, some, I always thought there could be a monster underneath my bed. And I could just imagine him, his hand grabbing out, grabbing my legs. And, and, and so I would like, literally, I would turn my light out and I would literally jump for, you know, for a time, you know, for, from a certain spot and land in my bed. And so that monster wouldn't get me. <laughs> well, after a certain period of time, I didn't believe that anymore, thank goodness. But yet, I thought it would be funny if my dad, uh, he, who didn't believe in monsters, uh, would have somebody grab his leg when he was getting in the bed. And so I, before he went to bed, I snuck up under his bed. And as he was getting in, turning the sheets down, I reached out and grabbed his leg. What he did was kick that metal bed frame and, um, and he broke the skin on his shin. And, and I remember getting carpet burned because he reached down there and yanked me out of there. And he tore me up. And, um, and he gave me a good talking to. Like, boy, i got to support this house. I can't go to work hurt and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and, and I, it was still worth it because I get to talk about it now. <laughs> but if you really believe something, it's going to cause you to respond in such a way and, and hope demands it requires faith and to put it into action and here's something what she knew about Jesus may have been skewed and it may not have been fully complete but here's the thing she responded in the way to what she knew about Jesus did y'all get that what she knew about Jesus she probably didn't have a full understanding of who he was but she responded in what she knew and i think the same way Jesus don't want us to have all the answers to come to him with all the answers, but he just wants us to come, period. You know, I got saved when I was nine years old. 
I didn't know what the word theology meant. I did not even, at nine, I didn't care. But yet, at this time, I knew that I was, you know, I, I heard the gospel message. I knew that I was a sinner. I was desperate spiritually. And that yet, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it's affected my life ever since. And so, this lady, if she did really knew who Jesus was, maybe she wouldn't have thought that she had approached him indirectly because Jesus was not just a healer at this time. We will know that he will become the savior of the world. You know, none of us desire to get to the point of desperation, but it is the cry of the desperate that is the sweetest sound to our Savior's ear. None of us like to get to the end of our rope physically or emotionally or socially or, or financially. But I can't help to think that when we cry out to God in those times, that's the times that, that God desires and he loves to hear our cry, that we're embracing who he is and who we are, knowing that he is our hope. Even to come to faith as a non-believer, we don't come on our own, on our own terms. We don't come God, to God having it all figured out. We don't come to God thinking that, that you know, we know best. We come in humility. We come spiritual bankrupt. And the fact that, God, we have nothing to offer you, but the only thing we can do is to take, accept your, your, your grace by faith and your hope that through the gospel message. We can only, the only thing that we can ever do as a non-believer to be saved from our sin is to put our faith and trust in the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. Which brings me to my last point is this. Faith finds a rescue. In this text, we see that the woman was freed from her affliction. In 2010, if you remember, there was 33 miners in Chile who got caught uh, in a mine, in a, I think it was a copper mine, and, and this certain incident brought about a great deal of media coverage and and um and it was 69 days that they were trapped 23 below 2300 feet below the earth's surface surface and i just remember me personally being being glued to the tv watching this whole thing and and hopes and and, and prayers of 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 these miners being set free from uh their this mine and 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 as they, were, as they were rescued in this certain situation, I remember as they were being interviewed, they all alluded to their faith and hope that they would be rescued. And, and, and what's, what's amazing is that they were able to maintain their sanity in that situation. 69 days being dark in a cave with limited resources and 33 men, <laughs> I can't imagine what I would have done, you know. And be like, all right, we're looking around, it's like, all right, who, who's going to eat one another, you know? I mean, I'd be like trying to make my, 
escape plan where there is no escape, right? And so, but I, I just remembered that when, when the rescue came, I remembered the family celebrating. I remember the whole world celebrating because of the coverage there. I was even celebrating with them. It was such a relief to them and their families to be rescued from this cave. In the same way, you can't help to think the woman in this situation, when she was finally healed from her ailment, she had a possible chance at, at, at a new life. She was able to possibly able to have a relationship. She was probably able to get married and have children, which was a huge thing in this day of time. She was maybe able to be a prominent citizen of her community where, where she once wasn't. The desperation turned into hope because of her faith. And there was a rescue here in this text. In verse 30, it says, At once Jesus realized the power that had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you asked, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. When the woman knowingly and what happened to her, um, when she came to the grips of what happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. I want us to look, just, just for a minute, at the response of this woman. When this woman found out what had happened to her, what was her response? She came and fell at the feet of Jesus in gratitude and humility and even fear. The Bible says even fear, a, a, a reverent fear. Guys, when we come to grips on what we've been rescued from, our response should be authentic worship. Our response should be a, a, a heart, uh, an attitude of, of gratitude of what Jesus has set us free from. Because if you realize, if you, know, if you are, are a born-again believer, you've been set free from not only from your eternity destination, but you've been set free from even from yourself, from your ailments. Now granted, we may still literally have to endure some perils and some trials and some temptations because that's just the way it is for here on for life here on earth right one day we will be set free from that that is our hope and so i think we can respond to this text in 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 one of three ways when I was thinking about this and, and, and reading this, and it was like, how does this apply to us? How can we literally put handles on this and, 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 and wrestle with this, with this text? I think we can respond in one of three ways. I think it gives us a, a, uh, a good example of worship for, for ones who have been set free from their, their bondages of sin. If you, know, once, if you were like me, you were spiritually bankrupt, you didn't have nothing to offer to God, and yet Christ said, hey, don't worry, I got it taken care of. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in me. That brought about a, a life, that set me on a, a, a path, a journey 
of, of worship. Now, when I say worship, for some reason, our minds go straight to church service, and that's part of it. But I'm talking about a life of worship. I'm talking about a life that's obedient to the Word of God. I'm talking about a life that seeks out the things of God. I'm talking about an everyday journey, our life being worship. You know, we don't think about going to work and giving it our best as worship, but yet the reality of it is we're doing what we, God created us to do. That, that is worship in itself, being mindful of the things of God, just living a day-to-day life that, 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 is, that is authentic worship to him. Number two, it can encourage us to continue to seek the hope because the reality of it is if you live life long enough or any length of time, you're going to have troubles. What did Jesus say himself? He said, in this world you will have what? You will have troubles. And, and, and I would like to think that this message here can serve as an encouragement that we can continue to seek out the hope that we find in Jesus Christ and so that we can continue to persevere in our troubles. I think perseverance in our troubles, when we do persevere, it brings about the joy that he promised. And the last thing is this, is that I think that it can serve as an evangelistic message in the fact that we are initially, naturally, spiritually bankrupt. And that we don't have anything to offer God, but yet he has something to offer us, and that is the message of salvation. By his birth and his death and his resurrection, that we can have new life in him. You know, even Paul wrote this passage and while he was chained in the prison out of despair. We know if you study any Anything about Paul, you will come to find out that he had a lot of trials and tribulations as the first evangelist to the Gentile people. And he said this in Romans eight thirty five through 39. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It's just, as, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes life throws us curveballs, and circumstances are unforgiving. But we can hang on to this hope. The same hope that the woman grasped onto in the text that we just read in Mark 5. You know, in closing, I hope I say this guy's name right. He's, he's Chilean. Mario Sepulveda, I got a picture of him there. He was the second miner to be pulled out of that mine in Chilean back in 2010. He said this. I have been with God and I have been with the devil. I fought between the two. I seized the hand of God and it was the best hand. I always knew that God would get us out of there. And this morning I want to ask you in the same way. Because God is offering his hand to us this morning. Is, it, is our faith going to allow us to, to take the initiative and grab on 
to his hand in his offer of salvation, whether it's constellation, or whether it may be just a, a peace that you've been struggling to find. You know, I can't answer for you as individuals. I can only answer for myself. And so I really don't know how God is dealing with you this morning. But I would ask that if you would just be sensitive to how he is. And here in a second, Wayne is going to give a hymn of invitation. And we'll have some ministers up here as well. I would ask you just to come and do business with God however you see fit. And however the Lord is leading you to do so. But I just want to encourage you with the message of hope this morning. And as we go into a new year, nothing changes but yet one thing. That we are a, a, a year closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for loving us and giving us your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I just pray as we come to this point of invitation, God, that it would not be another motion that we go through, but yet, God, it would be something that we're willing and able to yield our will to you and, and take the initiative to take the hand that you have extended to us. God, I don't know how everybody is spiritually in this room, but I, got, I know that you know. And God, I know that you're speaking to them on an the individual basis. And so, Lord, as we sing this hymn, God, I pray that we will respond in the way you would have us to. And I pray these things in Christ.